whatever. All right, so let's pray over the word. You guys agree with me because the word of God is so powerful and so important. Lord, I pray that as we get into the word tonight, that you would anoint our eyes and ears, give us eyes and ears of the Holy Spirit to see that are anointed, to be able to see and hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying to the church. Lord, give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds. Lock us into what you're saying by your Holy Spirit that we'll give you our best, your full attention, be able to see things. Lord, that we could not see on our own, but the Holy Spirit helps us to be able to see and understand the Bible. And Lord, that you would let your word go out as light shining into any darkness and dispel the darkness and bring truth to to displace any lie of the enemy. Lord, let your word be a sword that cuts away what needs to go. Let your word go out as living seeds that are sown into that good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Let your word be like a hammer that breaks to pieces any stone, any hardened hearts, any strongholds of the enemy. We thank you for the awesome power of your word and let it go forth in the awesome anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to give just some groundwork in this series. I love what God's been doing. I've really enjoyed speaking on the tabernacle. It's been, it was a privilege. It was so powerful. And I think that that helped everybody understand the pattern of the services a little more that we have. You know, excuse me. How many of those coffee is important when you preach? Amen. All right. So anyway, the patterns of the church have got to be laid out in Scripture, how to get into God's presence. And so when we did the, the tabernacle series, it helped to understand a little bit more about getting into God's presence. Because it's in the presence of the Holy Spirit that things happen. Okay, We need the presence of God in these last days. And if you look at the Bible, we are definitely living in the last days before Jesus' return. Okay? So it's near. Jesus' is coming is near. We're seeing a lot of things. I don't have time to, to preach on this, but just to give you just a little nugget. Things that are happening in Egypt. The Bible said that Egypt... I believe it's Isaiah 19, y'all help me out, I don't have it in front of me, where it talked about the great revival that was going to break out in Egypt, and it would be a road that ran up into Israel, and up all of, um, up into ancient Assyria, I believe, right up in that area there. But that revival, what's happening is there's a shaking that's going on in Egypt that is preparing for that revival. And also what's happening in Syria. The Bible predicts that in Syria, Damascus would one day be destroyed and uninhabitable. So I don't know of anything else that would make it uninhabitable except maybe a nuclear explosion. But you can see in Syria, you're seeing the, the churning, just what's going on there. And it's the, the fulfillment of these ancient Bible prophecies the Bible said would happen. Okay? And if those that study end-time prophecy and study specifically the prophecies about Israel, if they are correct about all of this, what it looks like is Psalm 83 war could be on the near horizon. And if they're right about that, the Psalm 83 war would expand the borders of Israel considerably. Because God's promised Israel that they would have a certain amount of land, and they're nowhere near, even remotely close to the land that God promised them at all. And every time, see the Bible said that God would scatter them, but it also says he would regather them. I mean, what nation could say that they were scattered for that long? Over a thousand years or 1,500 years or whatever. 
you know, 2,000 years scattered since 70 AD among the nations of the earth and, got, and that they were able to come back and be reestablished against all odds, speaking the Hebrew language and having what they have. It's a, it's a miracle. It really is. It's a miracle in our time. And to see them be reestablished, I believe 1942, and then uh, the 67 war that gave them Jerusalem, it's a miracle. And you guys are seeing all of this, and the Bible said that it would happen, and then it says that Jesus, when he comes, will come back to Jerusalem. He'll come back to the Mount of Olives. So all of this that's going on is the last days and the prophecies that were spoken. And it's not only going to be against Israel, it seems like, World War I prepared the land for Israel. World War II prepared the people. Okay? World War I broke the Turkish rule off the land, prepared the land. But World War II, with Hitler, prepared the people like, we're going back home, okay? But I said that to say this, that the nations are raging against Israel and raging against specifically Jerusalem because the Bible says that's where Jesus Christ is coming back. People say, why, why, why in the world do the nations care about this one itty-bitty little nation? Why is there so much harassment? Why is there so much attack and just all the things that go on against Israel? Think about it for a minute. You don't hear about that in Finland. you got little bitty Finland over there. You never hear anybody. Nobody has a problem with Finland. You know, why do they, little bitty Israel, why does everybody seem to have a problem with Israel? Because the Bible says Jesus will come back to Jerusalem. And Satan wants to try to stop that. Of course, he's not going to be able to. But he wants to destroy Israel. He wants to destroy Jerusalem. And he wants to try to block Christ's coming. But how many knows Jesus is going to come back anyway? And all these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. That's why it's important to know it. Because when these things happen, you want to know what the Bible says. Why are things going on like they're going on? Why is the economies of the world beginning to collapse? Because the Bible says that one day all the economies will come together into a one world currency. That's why it's happening. Why is there all of a sudden talk about a one world government? Because the Bible says before Jesus comes that there would be a one world government, okay, and a mark of the beast and all that. Why is Russia beginning to emerge again? Because the Bible says the Gog and Magog war will happen. And Russia will unite with Iran and come against Israel. So all of these things that's going on, when you know what the Bible says about them, you can look at it and go, there's a reason that's happening. There's a reason. Okay. So with all of that said that we're living in the last days, the church, we've got to be ready for what's coming. And we've got to keep our hearts pure. We've got to make sure that in these last days, the warning to the church is to not grow lukewarm. That's the greatest warning in the Bible. Those different churches in Revelation 2 and 3, different age, age time frames, we're living in this last day Laodicean church, and the warning is that you don't get lukewarm, but rather that you'll have extra oil and stay on fire for God for his coming. Okay? Matthew 25, that we'll have extra oil, the extra outpouring of the Holy Spirit, stay on fire for God and ready for Christ's coming. All right, so some things about the last days. The Bible says in Acts 2.17, you have the notes there in front of you. Please follow along. Follow along in the Bible. Take notes. 
But the Bible says in Acts 2.17, in the last days, we're in the last days, okay? God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So since we're living in the last days, the Bible says there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to be ready for that. We need to be ready to catch the the wave of what the Holy Spirit is doing. When the Holy Spirit is moving in power, I'm telling you, it is amazing. You know, as we studied church history and looked at Wesley, we've looked at other people's lives. When you go down through church history, every generation where God moved in an awesome way, there was always a remnant that would seek him, but they also had to keep themselves separate from the organized religion of that time, if you will. Because that organized religion of that time was an old wineskin that God could not move in. But he found a small group of people that would seek him with all their heart and go after him with all their heart. That And God used them, like Jesus taught, to be a new wineskin that can handle the new wine. And I know what the, the prophets have spoken over our nation. I know America is going to see a great move of God. I know it is. And there's been two great awakenings in the past, the 1700s with Wesley, Finney, I mean, sorry, Wesley, Whitfield, and all them. Then in the mid-1800s with Finney. And we're about to see a third great awakening in this nation. It's already beginning. And the move of God has already started. And there's been prophecies. It would begin in Pensacola and all that. You know the word, but it's, it's going forth. And the Bible says in these last days, he's going to pour out a spirit on all flesh. I really believe that God is going to pour out His Spirit in America in an awesome way, and it's going to bring a lot of change. And then also, it's going to go from America out to the nations. Much like it did through Azusa, where it went out to the nations through missions work. But for end-time prophecy to be fulfilled, God is allowing America to lose some of that status internationally, so that America won't ignorantly mess with things that God has predetermined is going to happen anyway. Because in the past, America has always been like a police nation that would go in and fix things. And and I I believe God's blessed us for that. I really do. But how many knows these things must happen? They must come to pass. And so God's allowing America to come down on the world stage a little bit so that we won't interfere with end-time prophecy being fulfilled. Is this going to happen, whether people like it or not? All right. So God's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. What does it say then? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's what the Bible says. Prophecy is where simply God is speaking through somebody. I'm going to talk a little bit about prophecy, not only tonight, but throughout this series. I'm not just dealing with dreams. I'm also going to deal with um, the nighttime. Why is it important to pray over your night? I'm going to deal with not only dreams, but visions. And I'm going to deal with prophecy and the prophetic ministry. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel, it records that he laid down by the ark and soaked in the glory of God. How many of you guys have ever just laid back and soaked in God's presence? It's awesome. But... I believe, in my personal opinion, 
Samuel was one of my favorite and probably one of the, the greatest men of God in the Bible, in my opinion. Samuel had a miraculous birth. His mother was barren, but his mother prayed in the tabernacle and said, Lord, if you will give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Eli saw it, blessed her. She conceived, had Samuel, took little Samuel as a boy, you know, sowed him a little ephod or whatever he needed. Okay, took him to the, the tabernacle area with Eli and gave him to the priesthood. And so he grew up by Eli, not by his own father. I believe, if I remember right, Samuel was from Ephraim. He didn't grow up doing what his father did. His father might have been a farmer or whatever. He didn't grow up doing that. He grew up in the, t- the tabernacle with Eli and would watch Eli go in there and, and cut up the sacrifices and, and go trim the lampstand and burn the incense, do all the things they were supposed to do. And little Eli was there with it. I'm sorry, little Samuel was there with Eli learning that trade. And it was interesting because even though Samuel was from Ephraim, he was adopted into the priesthood. And it was just a sovereign thing because you read throughout later on in his life, he was the one that was going to areas where they were going to go to war and he was the one that would perform the sacrifices before God so that God would bless what they're doing. He wasn't a Levite. So why was he able to do it? Because he was like he was adopted into the Levitical priesthood. So when I look at Samuel, I see a couple things. Number one, he was a judge. He was probably the last judge of Israel. Some people say it was Eli, but I believe it was Samuel. Number two, that judge is like a king. Even though they didn't have kings yet, he had like a kingly judge, like a ruler over the people. Then number two, Samuel was a prophet. And then number three, he was adopted into the priesthood. So he was a picture and type of Jesus Christ in many ways. He was a king, prophet, and a priest. You see what I'm saying? Even though he was this incredible man of God, his sons did not follow the Lord after him. Remember me telling you when you read about the sons of the prophets, you rarely read anything good in the Bible? (laughs) And that's because the sons of the prophets many times rode their daddy's anointing, if you will, and they never really sought God with all their heart for themselves. And unfortunately, you can see that through history. You see that there are people that came in after some great man or woman of God and is carrying on their ministry, but you don't see the anointing like it was with their predecessor. Why? And um, even those that have been used powerfully in the ministry, many times their children have never really had to pay the price they had to pay. And so when they die and their children come up, it's not the same. So the Lord's message in that is, is that we'll go after him with all of our heart and don't ride somebody else's anointing and don't lean on that too much. Seek God for yourself. Get something from God for yourself. But Samuel, when he would lay by the ark, whether he was a little boy or he was older, I don't know. They couldn't do temple ministry until they were 30 years old to 50. But I think that Eli let little Samuel follow him around, in my opinion. You ever notice in the Bible that there's judgment of God poured out throughout all of Scripture? But you never one time read once that God judged a little child. You ever notice that? He loves the little kid. He has grace for him. So I believe little Samuel followed Eli around and was watching Eli do things. He probably spilled the incense. You know, he, he probably uh, dropped the oil. And Eli's like, what are you doing, Sam? You know, he probably did goofy things. And God was probably up there laughing. You know, and, and honestly, he might have been just a little boy 
that Eli allowed him to go in there and taught him. So you got to be clean before God, you know, would, would dip him in the laver and do all the stuff, you know, and get him ready. And he was ceremonially clean, followed Eli and watched and, and allowed him to lay by the ark. Now, he might have been older. He might have done this for many years. But when he soaked in the glory, God did something in that boy. And, went, and it prepared him to be a great man of God because he knew. But think about it. So Samuel comes in. Now he's older. He's already learned as a child. He ceremonially cleanses himself. He puts on the garments or whatever. He goes in there. He's, he's you know, at the table of showbread. He's trimming the wicks. See, before they went to bed at night, the Levites were responsible to make sure that table of showbread was the way it's supposed to be, make sure that lampstand had plenty of oil because it was not supposed to go out. It's supposed to burn all night. Trim the wicks in it to make sure they were ready. They burn incense or whatever they did at night, and they would get it ready. And Samuel had learned this, so he went in and did all of this. And after he was done, instead of going right back out the front door, he said, Lord, I'm in your presence. I'm just going to lay here and go to sleep here. And so he would, you know, snuggle up next to the ark or whatever and go to sleep in the glory. And in that place, God was preparing him to be a great man of God, number one. And number two, that's the very place where he first heard the voice of God. Are y'all following me with this? Because I'm laying some groundwork about dreams and visions. But we've got to prepare an atmosphere for God. Just like here in this place. God touches people so powerfully. There's been people all the time that fall under the power, be, be healed, delivered of things, set free. All that God, all that Jesus is doing, Book of Acts, Christianity. But there's an atmosphere that's prepared for him to move in that way. It's just like the priests going in. They, you know, they check the table of showbread. They trim the lamps and they burn the ends. They prepared the atmosphere there, and God's presence was there. And so Samuel understood the importance of preparing an atmosphere and being in that presence of God. And in that place, God began to speak to him. Now, some of you, <coughs> what you got to realize is, as you get around the age of sixty years old you will have slept approximately 20 years of your life. That's a long time. That's a long time to be asleep, isn't it? So, with that said, God promises, especially in these last days, He promises that there would be dreams that He would give people and visions that He would give people. And so we need to be open to the fact that God very well may be wanting to speak to you at night in dreams. How many of you have ever had a dream you really felt was significant? You felt like God spoke to you in a dream. I have too. All right. The Bible clearly shows us all through the scriptures that God speaks to people through dreams. Not only did he speak to his people, but there were times that God spoke to heathen kings through dreams. He spoke to Pharaoh and gave him that crazy dream about the skinny cow eating the fat cow. Remember that? And nobody could interpret it. Joseph came and interpreted You know the story. Abraham, Sarah was taken from him and put in one of the Pharaoh's harem. And God appeared to that Pharaoh when? In the nighttime while he was asleep and told him, said, Pharaoh, you're a dead man. 
if you don't send that wife back to Abraham? And that he woke up, scared him half to death, and he was mad at Abraham for not telling him the whole story. But God spoke to that heathen king, said, you better put that wife back with Abraham or you're dead. What about some other stories? Those are warnings. What about Joseph? You know, baby Jesus was born. And there they are. And God appears to Joseph in a dream. says, Joseph, take your, your wife and take Jesus and go down to Egypt. And they took off. And right after they left, Herod began to slaughter all the babies. Remember that? This all came out of dreams. So God definitely speaks to people through dreams, and he speaks to people through visions. Regarding visions, remember Simon Peter. He was staying with Simon the Tanner out by the sea, and they had went to fix some food for him. He went up on the roof area, was praying, and while he was up on the roof and he was praying, all of a sudden he had this vision. And this net, I'm sorry, this white cloth had come down and when it touched down in front of him, it opened, and there was all these unclean animals in that. And it, what I mean by unclean is unclean spiritually to the Jewish people. Not that it was like a dirty, you know, like dirt all over it or anything like that, but the animals were unclean to eat for Jewish people. And Peter was looking at it, and the Lord spoke to Peter and said, kill and eat. And Peter said, no way, I've never eaten anything like that. It's forbidden under Jewish law. There's no way I'll eat. And the Lord said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And you know, through that vision, that one vision, Peter was open now to going with those that were sent to him to Cornelius's house. And the gospel of Jesus Christ went from the Jews now to the Gentiles. And that whole huge, enormous shift that took place was birthed out of a vision that Peter had. So here's a little bit more about dreams and visions. Job 33:14 is a common scripture. It says, "For God does speak now one way, now another, though no one perceives it." You know, there's a lot of people out there that God is trying to speak to them. They just don't get it. You know what I'm saying? God speaks in one way, He speaks in another. They they're just not hearing God speak. You know, I believe with all my heart, every time God tries to do things with people, his first method is almost always very gently. He tries to speak to them, but they don't have eyes to see and they don't have ears to hear. And so he has no other choice but to allow some trials to come into their life, and those trials will speak to them. But I believe that it was God's perfect will that they didn't have to go through a lot of those trials if they would have just heard what he was trying to tell them. Verse 15, in a, vision, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. Now, isn't that interesting? God will give you some serious warnings. I'll deal with this throughout this whole series. I'm just laying some groundwork. We're going to go four or five weeks on this, but... 
God gives some serious warnings and dreams. He's trying to convey some serious things. It's like Joseph with Jesus. That wasn't something that was minor. Their lives were in danger. And God appeared to Joseph in the dream said, you need to get out of here. So many times, just like with Pharaoh, brought Sarah into his harem. He was playing around with life and death, okay? And God spoke to him. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? God showed Nebuchadnezzar that dream about that statue. But listen, it is, God is speaking many times. He's trying to speak to us, but we've got to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. That's why Jesus, he would get up there. There were some people Jesus would minister to that would be deaf, and then he'd heal them. But whenever he got up and said, everyone that has an ear to hear, listen, he wasn't saying, hey, all of you are deaf. You know what? I'm going to go through and pray for you. No, he was saying, you need to really be able to hear what I'm actually saying to you. How many times people have heard sermons, they've, they've, they've read things out of the Bible, they've, they've had some kind of dream, and they're not perceiving what the Lord is actually trying to tell them. It's got to be that God helps us to have spiritual vision and hearing that we can really perceive what the Holy Spirit is speaking. There are people across this nation, they call themselves Christians, and they go to church and they hear things, but they are so lost, they don't know the Lord, they're not born of the Spirit, they're not ready for His coming, and they're not, they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. You need to pray for those people, but people have got to be able to see and perceive what God is really speaking. Numbers 12.6. I love this. God was upset with Aaron and Miriam. Remember, they questioned Moses. But God's response to them. Listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But then he went on to say, but with Moses, he's different. He's faithful in all my house. So I speak to him face to face. And then God rebuked Aaron and Miriam and said, Then why were you not afraid to speak against him? You've got to be careful speaking against God's anointed. Amen? But let me tell you in here, it says, Dreams and visions. God said, When there's a prophet among you, I reveal myself to them in visions, and I speak to them in dreams. Now, according to the Bible in Acts 2.17, there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in that, there's going to be dreams and visions and an increase in prophecy in the last days. That's going to happen, and it's already happening. How many of you would like to have God speak to you in a dream? You've never had it happen, but you would like to. At times where I woke up, I knew God had spoke to me. You've got to document those things. Okay? Let me say this as I'm laying some groundwork. It's important. When God speaks, it is always important. No matter if he speaks you in a dream vision or if he says something to you in passing or he's speaking you through the Bible, however God is showing you something, you need to document it because it's important. I think God gives people dreams and they don't document it. Two or three months pass. And, and somebody says, didn't God give you a dream? What was it against? I can't even remember it now. Well, there's the problem because God's wanting you to now take that dream and get the interpretation and, and understand he's trying to speak to you. There's been some pretty significant things God has spoken to me, my wife, and others that I know in dreams that actually protected us from some things that, you know, the devil had planned. 
So let me talk a little bit about the incredible importance of the night hour. How many knows that when you're asleep, right now your your mind is conscious, and whenever you daydream, that's your subconscious. How many of you guys are in college? You know about daydreaming. Okay. You know exactly what I'm talking about. While you daydream, that's your subconscious. Okay. But when you're asleep at night, you go from the conscious, you go to the subconscious, you go all the way down to unconscious. Okay. Your body is now in a comatose type state. Your mind, you're unconscious. But your spirit... Your spirit, man, is wide awake. Your human spirit doesn't need sleep. Your spirit's wide awake. That's why God's able to speak to people in the nighttime. Your spirit's awake. Your soul area, your mind and your emotions is resting, unconscious. And your body's in a comatose type state. But that's also a time that you're vulnerable. It's a time when, when God can speak to you, yes. But it's also a time that you're you're vulnerable because... When you're awake and you're alert and something starts going on spiritually, you know, it's, it's easy to rebuke that. Um, but when you're asleep and you're half asleep, it's not always easy to understand what's going on. Is it okay that I just be real about spirit, spiritual warfare? Because if you're not going to learn it at church, where are you going to learn it? Okay? You're not going to get it at school. So it seems like the demonic is more active at night. And those that serve the devil are more active at night, too. You know, I'm concerned right now about the direction of the nation. I know revival's coming, but I'm also concerned because I wonder, right now, when the devil's servants doing things that it's clandestine, okay, the cover of night, but I wonder if we'll see the day when that is as pronounced and public as Christian crusades used to be. And where Christians are more underground in hiding. I'm talking about true Christians. But anyway, it seems like there's more activity from the from the dark side at night. So here you are. There's more satanic that's going on at night. There's more activity from the demonic. And now you're going to go to sleep. So here you are in a passive condition. Your, your mind, you're going into the unconscious. You, you're a little bit out of control now because you're asleep. So it's important before you go to bed that your home is prayed over and that you're sealing that off and it's a place of God's glory in His presence. And that you go to sleep like Samuel in the glory. Because the glory of God, His manifest presence, Isaiah 4, 6, talked about the glory being a defense, an armor, um, over you a canopy of protection when you're asleep in the glory in the presence of God there's protection in that also something to consider and pray about the Bible promises us in the book of Psalms that God will encamp his angels around those that fear him how many of you fear the Lord I'm talking about a healthy reverential fear of God that fear of the Lord God promises you that he will give his angels um, put them around you to deliver and protect you and Psalm 91 says they'll follow you in life and bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. So God promises you angelic activity. These are things to pray about. So you go to bed at night, you want the Lord to have his angels around your home and around you to protect you. 
But remember, I taught in the Tabernacle series. If you didn't get a chance to, to listen, go back and listen to the, the series we did on prayer and then the series we did on the Tabernacle because it builds up to this. But in the Tabernacle time, they would have a morning and an evening sacrifice. The morning sacrifice, um, you know, they, they would kill the lamb and all that. But, but before twilight, before they went to bed at night, they would also have this evening sacrifice. And that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. The morning sacrifice is like your time with the Lord in the morning before you start your day. You're praying over your day. You're getting ready spiritually. You go out in your day. You're walking in the spirit. You've, that's the morning sacrifice. You've been ready for the day. But what about before you go to bed at night? What about the evening sacrifice? Where you're preparing a spiritual atmosphere. I had to learn this because of some things in the ministry you know, I've been through and God's taught me this, but there's been many times, not a few, many, many times since I've learned what I'm teaching, that I've woke up in the morning or in the middle of the night and just felt the glory, the presence of God so thick. Listen, we need to get stirred up for revival that people are hungry for more of the Lord. And I'm trying to preach that way to stir up some hunger and passion in people. Okay, but let the Lord touch you at night. Evan Roberts said that before revival broke out in Wales, he didn't mean to. He stumbled upon this. But he was basically doing what Samuel did because he would wake up in the middle of the night and feel God's presence on him so strong. He would just lay there in the presence of God and talk to the Lord. And this happened night after night after night after night. You know what God was doing? He was taking him like Samuel and putting him in the glory and letting him soak in that glory and prepare him to be able to lead that Welsh revival. And that Welsh revival changed all of Wales. It wasn't a small thing. But a lot of that preparation came in Evan Roberts' life and soaking in the presence of God. What's the big deal about soaking in God's presence? Because when you're in the presence of God, you'll never be the same. Okay, when you're soaking in God's presence, God will totally transform your life and change you. I remember going to the Brownsville Revival and the power of God was so amazing. This man, I was getting prayer and there was a man standing there and he just looked so happy. You know, God had been touching him and he had his driver's license out and I remember him telling me and there was these guys that were praying for me you know or praying for people around me and he was showing these these uh, altar workers and me a picture of his driver's license this guy in his driver's license his neck there's some kind of disease or something his neck was almost as completely wide as his shoulders I don't know what the disease was but when you looked at his driver's license and you looked at him his neck had shrunk almost back down to normal and the guy asked him, said, man, what happened? He said, I don't know. I just keep coming in here. God's presence. God, you know, I fall out on, under the power of God. I get up and my neck just keeps shrinking and keeps shrinking and keeps shrinking back down to normal. It was almost normal. That was just in the presence of God. There was a woman in the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival and had some disease. I don't remember what it was now, but I remember her giving her testimony. And she kept coming to the revival. And she would go up there and they would, they would pray over her. She would fall down and she would stay there in the glory of God, just soaking God's presence. You know, she said she would, she would go home and she would feel better. She came back to the revival, same thing, went home, she would feel even better. Did you know that that disease gradually disappeared over time completely? She was totally healed. It's just the presence of God. Inner healing. People have been through so much torment in life. In the presence of God, God will heal the brokenhearted. Okay, he'll bind up and heal the brokenhearted. Also, there's a spiritual sensitivity. As you soak in God's presence, 
you're you're becoming more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You're becoming more sensitive to what God is speaking to you. You know what I said earlier about we got to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Whenever God's speaking, we got to perceive it. If you want to become more sensitive to the Lord, then start soaking in His presence. See, God isn't going to speak to your outer flesh. You're not going to be driving down the road, and all of a sudden there's this booming voice, Hello, in your ear, okay? That's not the way it happens. And He's not going to necessarily speak to your intellect. Even people, a lot of people think that. No, He speaks to your spirit, your inner man, okay? And your spirit has got to be in tune with the Lord. So how does your inner human spirit get developed um, praying in tongues yes but also by soaking in God's presence your inner man is becoming sensitive to the Holy Spirit Evan Roberts remember me telling you about him soaking at night and getting touched by God hours and hours he lay on his bed in God's presence this happened night after night God was preparing him but one of the things that marked Evan Roberts life was this he was known for his sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why was he so sensitive? He was just some normal guy. I mean, he went to work like everybody else. You know, he was just a normal guy. But God was visiting him in the nighttime. And was God was putting his hand on Evan. And at night he would wake up in that presence of God. And that presence of God was preparing him for his destiny. Just like Samuel, when Samuel would sleep by the ark. Samuel was extremely sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, Samuel was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he knew to anoint David over all of his brothers. He knew that when Saul ripped his prayer shawl and he turned, he said, the kingdom's been ripped from you. He knew right then in that moment exactly what to speak from the Lord. Even in his anger, he was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, his words were precise. Evan Roberts, during the Wells Revival, the Holy Spirit would move. And Evan knew exactly when there needed to be a song sung. He knew exactly when there needed to be a sermon preached. And he knew exactly when to get everybody to be quiet. And he would move with the Holy Spirit. And people remarked how sensitive he was to the Holy Spirit. How did he know to be so sensitive like that? What prepared him? There was nothing else that prepared him other than his personal time with the Lord. That was it. So his time of soaking in God's presence prepared him to be sensitive, that he could see, he could perceive what God was doing. When Jesus was here, they asked Jesus many questions, but Jesus said this. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only speak what I hear my Father speaking. Jesus was so in tune with the Father that he knew exactly what to speak, and he knew when to speak it. Jesus walked right past a lot of people in Israel. But he was following the Father, and everywhere he went, the Father would lead him to go right past over here. There may have been a sick person. He walked past them, but he ended up over here in this town in major revival, you know. But Jesus was moving with what the Father was showing him. We've got to get all of us to, to a place where we're so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that we can say, I'm only doing what I see the Lord doing. I'm only speaking what I hear Him speak. And I'm moving in tandem with Him. I'm in step with the Lord. I'm doing what He's saying to do. Now, I'm saying all this to, to stir you guys up, okay? I hope preaching like this, I know that it stirs up a hunger in me. I hope it stirs up a hunger in you. David Hogan said there was a man that got saved out in uh, Mexico. 
out in the jungles of Mexico. And David Hogan said, every morning this man gets up early in the morning and goes out to a field and he prays. And he said, every single morning without exception, every morning, there's a shaft of light that comes down on this guy. Okay? And he spends time with the Lord. Now tell me that's not awesome. There was a man that I saw in India that every morning the Lord will wake him up and give him an assignment. And every single morning he will go out on assignment and the Lord will tell him, I want you to go down this street, turn here, go here, 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 and here, and then there's somebody I want you to meet with. Every morning he'll get up in the morning and God has spoken to him and he'll go down the streets that God told him to go down and there'll be a person waiting for him to bring the gospel to him every time. Now that's awesome. But these people have simply become sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. I believe that the Lord is wanting all of us to become more sensitive to his leading where he can use us in a greater way than we've ever been used. That he can line up divine appointments for us that as we step out in our day, things are lined up for us to be able to hear and, and to step out in faith and do what he's called us to do. This happens from your own personal prayer life. And yes, you develop your inner man praying in the spirit. We know that. But also by soaking in God's presence. How many times has God put people in revivals on the floor under the power of God and then they bounce right back up real quick? How many times? God is trying to tell them, if you'll stay here a little while and let me just saturate you with my presence, then I can prepare you for things I'm wanting you to do. But people in today's society are so quick with, you know, the microwave society, the fast food society and all that we have. They're so quick to go in and just want to give God their order. Well, okay, Lord, I want the number one with cheese, you know, and all that. And then they just walk out. Instead of just staying there with the Lord and, and basking in His presence, they just want to go into prayer and give God their order and walk out. But how many knows God is not Burger King? All right, He is not have it your way, when you want it, how you want it. He's God Almighty. And He's not some big Santa Claus, okay? He's, he wants people to pray His will, but He wants them to spend time with Him. There's a time for soaking in the Lord like Samuel where there's a fresh anointing. There's also a time of soaking in the Lord where there's revelation like Samuel heard God's voice for the first time when he was laying by the ark. This atmosphere of heaven can be in your home for those that want it. I'm talking about the evening sacrifice before you go to bed at night that you're preparing the atmosphere. Okay? That God can prepare to, to visit you, to speak with you, to minister to you. Listen, before I go to bed at night, ask my wife, I always pray over the home and everything. And pray that God will just cleanse the home and get washed in the blood. It's a good time to take communion, but get your home washed in the blood of the Lamb, clean and pure and holy, okay? And as the atmosphere is prepared, the blood has washed and cleansed and made holy, then the atmosphere for the glory will come. Let me say that again. Y'all please give me your best here, okay? Because y'all are missing something right here that's important. 
Number one, before you go to bed at night, the evening sacrifice that you get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus. If you want to take communion or whatever, but get washed in the blood of the Lamb, this is the evening sacrifice that the blood is washing, cleansing your home and your property and your life, okay? You get under the blood. Then once the blood is washed clean, then the glory of God will come into that home. The glory is the atmosphere of heaven. That's what you need. You know, I was just reading about Solomon. When Solomon built the temple, the tabernacle had been in Shiloh, last we read, in Judges, but they brought the ark into Jerusalem. And David set a tent there over the ark, and it was called the Tabernacle of David. And they worshipped and they prayed there. But when Solomon built the temple, and spent all those years preparing that temple, it was time now to take the ark and put it in the temple. And the Bible says that Solomon and all of those that were with him, they were in front of the ark, and they were. it said that they killed so many animals it was without number, but the blood of those animals was just covering the ground. And I want you to picture this. They were making a trail of blood so that the priest could carry the ark of God on that blood. See, where the blood is, that's where the glory comes. Are y'all seeing this picture? And Solomon put the blood of the lamb all the way to that temple. And that ark was carried on top of blood all the way into that temple. And then Solomon got to the temple and he shed so much blood there. All those animals were killed at the temple. And it says because of that, the glory of God filled that temple so strong that the priest could not even stand to minister. They just fell back or whatever, collapsed, and they were under the glory and they couldn't move. The blood brought in the glory. So whenever you are going to bed at night, you need to take time, if you want to take communion or whatever, but just get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus. Let your home be washed and covered in the blood. And it's preparing an atmosphere for the glory to settle in your home. And with today's technology, it's really easy to be able to play some things on the computer or whatever to play so maybe some real anointed revival clips. You know, just picture it like you're trimming the lampstand, okay? And I'm setting up my computer and I'm trimming the lampstand here and there's going to be... You know, you're preparing the atmosphere of your home. Look, God, there's a protocol. If, if you were going to have some earthly um, king, president, whatever, come to you, you're not going to throw out paper plates with some bologna sandwich, okay? And you're coming out in your basketball shorts and your tee. You know, you're, you're going to dress a little nice and you're going to... How much more... Listen, God God will come where he's honored. Y'all hear me? It's not flippant. Some people hear, some people talk about Jesus being their buddy and homeboy or whatever. Man, give me a break. He's God Almighty. Okay, where's your reverence? Where's your respect? Okay. Jesus will come where there's honor and reverence. There's a protocol. There's a protocol. And the protocol is that you're going to take time to get covered and washed in the blood and worship Him and honor Him because He's the King. And in that worship, His glory will come. So spend some time before you go to bed at night getting the blood, covering, washing the blood, put on some worship, pray, worship the Lord, speak blessings. And this doesn't have to take very long, but if you'll do that, if you'll speak blessings in your home, and you'll prepare the atmosphere, you watch as the presence of God doesn't start invading your home. 
and where the presence of God is, then your night's rest and that glory will change. You'll begin to have old bad dreams or whatever disappear. Wasn't it my little niece that was having bad dreams and one of them? Listen, kids are so cute. A couple of my little nieces, one of them was having nightmares or whatever. And I think it was Hannah that was having nightmares, right? And Mackenzie, well, Mackenzie was the one who preached to her. So anyway, Hannah, Hannah was having, listen, let me tell you, so little Hannah was having some bad dreams. And um, my other brother's daughter, Mackenzie, was telling Hannah, it's little big kids, telling Hannah, you know, I used to have bad dreams too. But said, um, Jesus told me to rebuke the devil or something like that. Didn't she say that? To rebuke the devil and, and to ask him for good dreams. She said they went away. And so Hannah started doing that, and she quit having bad dreams out of the mouth of babes, right? But it's, it's resting in the glory. And I remember um, growing up, you know, my wife had a background you guys know about out of a family that had a lot of problems. But anyway, when Brianna was growing up, there would sometimes be some weird stuff. And Sandy always taught her as a little girl, said, listen, don't put up with any funny business. You, if you, if anything weird's going on in Jesus' name, I bind you out of here, and don't put up with it. And you know that she she had a lot of awesome stories where you know things she was protected at night because of that. Listen, people are putting up with too much. Jesus paid for us to be free. Let's get under the blood. So at night, wash in the blood, get the glory in your home, worship, pray, speak blessings, get the atmosphere. But here's what's going to happen. Old, negative things in the night will fade, and you'll begin to have God's dreams at night. You'll begin to get under the glory. You'll begin to have encounters with the Lord. There's been many times that I've woke up because the glory of God was so thick, and God wants that. Well, Pastor Kilpatrick said that there were times in the Brownsville Revival, and I'm sure this still goes on today, but just when it started his life, but he said that he'd wake up in the middle of the night, have to use the restroom, couldn't get up because the glory had pinned him to the bed. <laughs> Listen, man. How many wants the glory of God in your home like that? All right. But the atmosphere of heaven will bring cleansing, healing, freedom, and empowerment. The next thing real quick is have a clean home and seek God for his presence. Make sure and go through your home. Okay, those of you that are here, you, you know Jesus Christ. You're a Christian. Let me tell you, make sure that you're going through your home and you're getting rid of stuff that doesn't need to be there. Is there certain things that can act like a lightning rod to draw in evil? You got statues of, of demon gods or, you know, Buddha or different um, Hindu religions or whatever. You've got, maybe if you have things that are sexually perverted like pornography, getting that out of your home. Avoid things that cause addictions. Do you have things in your home that cause addictions? Do you have, is your home in order? Don't tolerate things. Don't tolerate rebellion. Don't tolerate stuff in your home that shouldn't be there. The home should be in order, okay? The order of God's home is the husband is the head of the wife, and the parents have authority over the children. And children are supposed to honor, obey, and respect your parents. Everybody say amen. One more time. Children are supposed to honor, obey, and respect their parents. Amen? And when a home is in order... Where the husband is the head of the home, the wife is submitted under that without a bad attitude like some do. And children are honoring, obeying, and respecting their parents the way they're supposed to, 
not being rebellious, being brats. But when a home is in order, that's where God's presence will be. But don't tolerate anything any less. Okay? We've got to quit putting up with some things and get our homes in order. Amen? Also, you know, dealing with dishonesty, before I move on, you know, when, uh, well, you know, you just, okay, Brianna's just got to have these stories about her because she's the pastor's daughter. It's the way it goes, okay? She'll forgive me later. But whenever we were growing, raising her and she's growing up, I mean, there was, number one, if she did something she wasn't supposed to do, there was a punishment there for that. But if she lied about it, which only happened a few times because of what I'm about to tell you, if she lied about it, the punishment doubled. So if she was grounded for two weeks, that's fine. But if she lied about it, now it's two more weeks for lying. So that broke that about twice, and she never lied again. It was just better just to be straight. You know what? To this day, she don't lie. All right? So I'm saying don't put up with dishonesty and rebellion in the home. And if there was ever any rebellion, we dealt with that. But listen, that's just that's just the way it goes, Brianna. You're going to get picked on you and the pastor's daughter. And Another thing is avoid strife and don't go to bed angry. Just because you get into a fight, things happen. That's normal. Things happen, okay? But don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed in bitterness, unforgiveness, and all of that. That's a bad idea. It can allow the devil to begin to oppress that home. Before you go to bed, if you had a big fight, talk about it, pray together. Even if you have to agree to disagree, just make sure that you go to bed in peace, okay? All right, the last thing is be careful with allowing things through the media that's full of profanity or other things that try to come in through the media. As Christians, we've got to be careful. Don't, don't be watching things where people are having their guts ripped out of them in some slasher movie, okay? That's just disgusting, and that's not something that God wants in your home. Number two, don't be watching things where people are taking their clothes off and having sex right there in your living room, okay? And all these horrible profanity and stuff like that, if, it, if it's not, if it's there, it needs, you need to deal with them. Okay, I love the TV Guardian we have that blocks a lot of that stuff, but listen, if it's, if it's something that's going on, you've got to get rid of that stuff. Because that will hinder the glory in your home. And another thing is, don't allow things in your home like gossip. You know, somebody, you invite somebody over your house, and they sit there and just spew their gossip about everybody. And then they go home, but you look at your wife or whatever, and you're like, man, I feel like I need a shower. You know, after all that. Well, here's some good godly advice. Don't have them back. Keep your home clean. Amen? All right, nightly activity from the Lord. Whether it's by the Holy Spirit or through angelic activity, God is wanting in your nighttime that there can be cleansing and sanctification. The Bible talks about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. While you sleep at night, there can be a deep cleansing and sanctification that's going on in you. Number two, there can be healing in the glory. There can be healing while you sleep at night, spirit, soul, and body. There's healing in God's presence. Number three, and I, and I feel that. I need to point that out. 
listen, if you'll soak in God's glory at night, don't be surprised if some of you, that some of the health problems you've been battling disappear. Because the glory of God will take care of a lot of that. Get in His glory and soak in that glory. Number three, God will give you dreams and visions that will help you into your destiny, training, and preparation for that. What is it that you're called to do? Did you know God can reveal that to you in dreams? Reveal to you what you're called to do and help to train and prepare you for that. Number four, warnings and correction from the Lord. It's like I talked about earlier with Pharaoh and Sarah. God can give you warnings and correction in the dreams. He can warn you of impending danger. There's been Christians that had warnings in dreams that did not take a flight or whatever. These are true stories. They did not. They skipped a plane flight. They had a dream and that flight crashed. Or there was something that happened. God can warn you of impending danger and he can correct you if you're going down a wrong path. How many many know sometimes we may be going down the wrong path and the Lord can speak to you in a dream and say, look, You're going the wrong way. All right, the next thing, God can give you intercession in the night. You wake up with an overwhelming burden to pray. You may not even know what for. Remember Kenneth Hagin one time is a perfect story about this. He was asleep and had a dream about his brother. And his brother was in an ambulance, ended up at the hospital, and he died on the hospital bed. And in the dream, this is a dream, in the dream, Kenneth Hagin went in to see his brother, and the doctor said he's dead, and Kenneth Hagin said he's not dead. And the doctor got mad at him. And he woke up, but he woke up with an overwhelming burden to pray for his brother. So he got down, he began to pray in the Spirit and intercede for his brother for about an hour. And after an hour of intercession, that burden lifted, And then he saw his brother. This was back a long time ago before email and cell phones, okay? So his brother comes to town, and his brother said, Man, Kenneth, you're not going to believe it. I almost died. And Kenneth said, I know. And he told him the story, and it was a lot like the story of the dream that he had. But the thing was, instead of dying, he lived. And I believe that Kenneth's prayer spared that boy's life. But God will lay on your heart to pray in the middle of the night and also to wage spiritual warfare if something's going on. You may not know what it is. But Reinhard Monkey told a story about a woman that began to intercede for him in America that had no idea what was going on. But Reinhardt, as a young man, had drank some bad water in Africa and had gotten deathly sick and was laying in his bed and he felt like he was dying. And that woman was in America not knowing that It was interceding for him, and that fever broke, and he made a full recovery. But what if that woman did not pray for him? What if Reinhardt would have died? Then think of all the millions of people that wouldn't have got saved. Another thing that dreams can do. God can expose and defeat the devil's kingdom. God can expose and defeat the devil's kingdom. Why? Because God will show you what the devil's strategies is and what he's up to. Did you all hear that? He will show you, he will expose satanic strategies. The next one is wisdom. God can give you wisdom that unlocks a serious problem. 
You've got a serious problem in your life. You don't know what to do. You're at your wit's end. You're praying about it, but you don't know what to do. Your emotions are caught up in it. You go to sleep. God can give you a dream, and in that dream, He will reveal to you what will fix that problem. Another thing God can do is give you inventions that bring great wealth. Did you know there's, I've heard multiple stories about this, that there are Christians that God gave them a dream. And out of that dream, they created something, patented it, and then they became very wealthy. One woman, if I remember right, had a dream, and she's not in any way associated with medical science. She didn't even know what it was, but she drew it on a piece of paper. She knew it had to do with the medical profession. She took it to somebody. That person said, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. You've got to patent this. She patented it. It ended up being something that was widely used in the medical field, and she got very wealthy off that. Isn't that something? They came through a dream. Another thing that can happen in the night is satanic dreams. <coughs> satanic dreams that are sent by the enemy. We need to be aware that the enemy tries to intimidate. You know, I was listening to John Paul Jackson talk about dreams, and he was saying that fear is one of the biggest doors to the enemy that there is. And he said that fear is why a lot of people have a lot of the torment in their lives that they have. And the reason why they have a lot of the, the nightmares and things that they have. And he was adamant about this. I mean, he was really going at it. He was saying there cannot be fear. There's got to be faith. There's got to be peace. You've got to die to these fears to get them out of your life. Because he said it's through the fears that the enemy brings his dreams and he's trying to prevent you from having God's dreams. All right, the next thing is fearful dreams can be because of your own fears or your own inner healing issues. So let the Lord deal with that and cleanse that. The last thing is, what about dreams that are not, necess not necessarily from God, but what can influence your dreams? Number one, illnesses. You guys ever been battling the flu? Had some really weird dream? I've had that. What about something that you ate? You had a bad sardine on a pizza, okay? You had some really weird dream. Yeah. Another thing that can affect your dreams is pregnancy because it messes with hormones. And also prescription drugs, okay? Prescription drugs can mess with your dreams. So I'm just saying that there are certain things that can play into dreams. Another thing is if something's really weighing on you. You know, maybe you're in school or something and you've got this midterm coming up and you're stressed out and you... You don't know what to, that can influence your dreams. So you've got to get to the place, there's no shortcuts about this, that you're able to distinguish between a dream that is of God and a dream that's of yourself. You hear me? Sometimes people have dreams that are from God, and sometimes people just have dreams that are out of their own selves. Or sometimes dreams that come from the enemy. So how do you determine between these things? There's no shortcuts. You've got to learn how to discern between them by the Holy Spirit who will help you discern. That's where you grow in discernment. That's where you have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. All right, here's what I want to start closing with. Is, listen, number one, humanism. Humanism believes that man is the solution for all things. 
But that's in stark contrast to the Bible because the Bible shows us that God is the solution for all things. So the theory that began with Sigmund Freud and continued by his contemporaries is basically that all your answers lie within yourself. That your own psyche, your own mind, holds within itself the answers to all your life's problems and dreams of that window or the window to that. This is in vast contrast to the Bible, which shows us that only God has all the answers. Also, following the pattern of understanding dreams laid out by secular humanists like Freud will lead you to a completely different interpretation to dreams than what the Bible gives. So in other words, you have Pharaoh's dreams. If you were going to follow somebody like Freud's interpretation of dreams, you would end up down some weird road that had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with what God was really speaking. So there's a problem with that, isn't there? So you are not the solution to all your problems. God is the solution to all your problems. So when you have a dream, it's not that your own psyche within yourself is just so brilliant that it took you going to sleep for it to come forth. That's not it. It's that God is trying to speak to you. And so you've got to understand that there's people that will have dreams out there you know, I remember hearing, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody went to Mardi Gras as a Christian and set up a tent and said, know your future. And they'd come in, and another place, they were telling people about Jesus, and another group of people set up a tent, and they said, come in to have dreams interpreted. And they were giving people Holy Spirit uh, dream interpretation of their dreams, and people were getting saved. Listen, the lost are having these things happen to them, and they want answers, and because the church isn't giving them any answers, they end up going to weirdos. Okay, like fortune tellers, you know, and psychics and different things. They'll sit there and act like they're reading their palm or whatever, tarot cards. And the whole time, if the church would rise up and do what we're supposed to do and get revelation and help them, many of them would come to Christ. They're looking for something that's real. They really are. All right, I want to close with the life of Balaam. You guys remember Balaam? Balaam was a true prophet, but he was very tainted. We need to have some higher standards about who we are calling prophets. And let me encourage you to not listen to everybody that calls themselves a prophet. There are true prophets, and I believe in them. But I also believe there's a lot of people that call themselves prophets that aren't. And there's a lot of people, because of their ethnic background or whatever, that go around calling themselves apostles and prophets that aren't but it's just a title that they give themselves. But Balaam, for example, was actually a true prophet of God. But he had major character flaw issues with the love of money that distorted him. Are y'all hearing me? Now you read the story. Whenever we're done with this sermon, I'll pray with people who want prayer. But read the story of Balaam, Numbers 22 through 24. This is the true story that's in the Bible. Moab, Balak, was the king of Moab, and they were deeply involved in witchcraft. Moab was deeply involved in witchcraft. As a matter of fact, in 2 Kings chapter 3, the king of Moab, when Israel was prevailing, took his oldest son and sacrificed him to their demon god. I mean, killed him right there. Um, Human sacrifice. This is in your Bible. So this is how Moab operates and thinks that the demonic that they worshipped and prayed to well he heard that Balaam 
was a mighty man of God and that who Balaam cursed would be cursed and who Balaam blessed would be blessed. And so he sent for Balaam. And Balaam heard from God that night in a dream. And God told Balaam, do not go. But Balaam still wanted to go because he knew that he would get money out of it. And so while he was going, God sent an angel to block the path. And the donkey, this is in your Bible, the donkey saw the angel, turned off and wouldn't go. And the donkey was crushing his leg up against um, a stone wall or whatever. And so Balaam was mad and was just beating his, that donkey with a stick. And God opened the mouth of that donkey. This is in your Bible. Read it for yourself. And that donkey started talking to him and said, why are you hitting me? And Balaam said, because you won't go. I guess he was so mad he didn't stop and think that the donkey was talking to him. If it was me, I would have fell off the donkey first, you know, and been like, you're talking to me. And then I would have went out from there. But anyway, so the donkey said, there's an angel on the road with a sword drawn. I'm not going through that. And then the angel appeared and told Balaam, in essence, the donkey is smarter than you, Balaam. If you would have kept coming, you would surely be dead. But that donkey just saved your life. That's what the angel said. So Balaam, still, after God specifically telling him, don't go, and then putting the angel there as a very clear warning, Balaam still went. And the whole time, he's doing something out of disobedience to God, asking God to bless what he's doing the whole time. He gets to Balak. All the children of Israel camp down there. He gets to Balak, and Balak sets up these altars to their demon gods where they sacrifice and they're doing this to other gods not to the god of the bible this is a demonic thing Balaam is going up to these altars and praying to God and he's mixing this evil witchcraft do you see what I'm saying he's mixing it and Balak it was hiring this so called prophet of God to put a curse on Israel so that they would be defeated because Balak, the king of Moab, was terrified that God had destroyed Egypt. And here comes these people. And sure enough, God's going to destroy Moab too. And so that's why he hired Balaam. But Balaam, the whole time that he's doing this, he's participating in this witchcraft. He's out of the will of God. But the whole time, he's wanting God to bless what he's doing. Well, God would not permit Balaam to curse Israel. And every time he opened his mouth, he ended up blessing Israel. And Balak got very angry. He's like, I paid you to come here and curse these people. And it'd be enough for you just to leave. But no, you're actually putting a blessing on them instead. And so Balak was getting irate. But the Bible records Balaam as being an exceedingly wicked man that loved the wages of wickedness. He was corrupt. <clears throat> there are people out there that may have true giftings from the Lord, but you better be very careful that you're not allowing yourself to get polluted with things like pride, polluted with things like the love of money, because that's what Balaam was all about, the love of money. And 
Sure enough, after he had done all this, it was recorded in the Bible in 31, Numbers 31, verse 8, that the children of Israel killed him probably while he was going to get his money. Isn't that something? But did you know, in all of that, that Balaam really was a prophetic man that knew the voice of the Lord, and that even in all this wickedness, God still used him to prophesy that there would be a star that rises out of Judah? And did you know that that ancient prophecy is probably the very reason why those three wise men in the Far East were looking for a star that would rise out of Judah? So even as wicked as he ended up being, he still gave a prophecy that probably had to do with why the wise men came to Bethlehem. Isn't that something? Revelation 2.14 is what I'm going to close with. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. God was rebuking this church. He said, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. Those were the two things. Those were also attributed to the Jezebel spirit. Isn't that interesting? Food sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality. So while Balaam could not curse Israel, apparently he went behind the scenes and told Balak, if you'll get them, if you'll send the attractive Moabite women into the camp, they can entice them to food sacrificed to idols and they can entice them to marry the Moabite women, which God specifically set out to do. And they engaged in sexual immorality. And listen to this. Through that, the judgment of God broke out in Israel and thousands died. So even though Balaam could not curse them directly through witchcraft, it wouldn't prevail. Balaam taught the king of Moab, if you will entice them to sin, then God himself will judge them. And that they'll be defeated before you that way. And it worked because they sinned. So listen, friend, we've got to be very careful about things, not only sexual immorality, but remember me talking about personal convictions? That whole thing with food sacrifice to idols goes back to personal convictions. The Apostle Paul was adamant. He said, all food is clean. It can all be consecrated by the word of God in prayer. But see what it was. It went back to personal convictions. I know this is deep. I hope that I've laid enough foundation for people to get this. But when God gives you a personal conviction, don't compromise it. That's what that really is saying, really. If God gives you a conviction, don't compromise that conviction. Because food sacrificed to idols was, Paul said it's just food. But there were people that their consciences smit them and they couldn't eat of it because they didn't have faith to eat of it. They didn't have faith that it was clean. They didn't have faith that by doing it, that it was right with God. They couldn't do it. Their conscience wouldn't permit them. But yet, they did it anyway at times, and to them it was a sin. I know this is deep, but let me just make it as simple as I can. When God gives you a conviction about something, stick to it. Because there's always going to be something that is behind the scenes, like the Jezebel spirit, that will try to seduce people and entice people and pull them over to where they're compromising their convictions. How many husbands out there, and I know I can name names, 
I know so many people that they've had convictions, but they had like a Jezebel wife that's like, oh, that's stupid. That's stupid. Why do you feel that way? It's stupid. And would entice them to go against their own conscience, against their own convictions. I've seen it. So the message is with Balaam, we need to make sure that we're careful about who we're given this title, a true prophet of God. Because even though he had the gifting, he was still a wicked man. I think standards have been too low about prophecy. If somebody's been a prophet for many years and they're heralded as a prophet and they're only getting correct prophecies about half the time, somebody that's over them in authority needs to confront them. Because you shouldn't have a 50% batting average if you've been at this thing for a long time. Amen? Let's just be real about it. And you get some baby Christian, somebody young in the prophetic, yeah, I mean, of course, they're going to miss it. But you get somebody that's seasoned and been in a long time, there needs to be some accountability. Because there's been some prophets that have gone through that have, that have done some very stupid things, that have said some very stupid things, that have hurt churches deeply. And have hurt people's lives deeply. Gave horrible advice. Stupid things they've said. But they said it, thus says the Lord. It wasn't God. There wasn't nothing about it that was God. Ruined people's lives. There's even been prophets. These are true stories that have told people, you know, you need a divorce and go over here with so-and-so. And they, well, it's the word of the Lord. Like that's going to be God. Seriously? Anyway. Let's get in the glory tonight. Amen? How many of you guys want when you go home tonight to be in the glory? Go home this night. Let it be different. The evening sacrifice. Prepare your home for the glory. Prepare, you know, get everything ready. Let the glory of God begin to come into your home. Father, I pray, you know, tonight we'll pray for people that want prayer. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you will begin to invade people's homes, that they will be in the glory. They'll have visitations from the Lord at night in the glory that will be awesome. People being healed, people being set free from things and cleansed and, and saturated in the glory in such a way that's preparing them to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and preparing them for their destiny, that they're being made ready for something significant. Lord, we're asking you to move in an awesome way, begin to invade people's homes. I feel strongly in my heart that this is something that God is wanting people to really start praying about and seeking him about. He's wanting to visit people at night in their homes. I believe that with all my heart, like at Evan Roberts. He's wanting to prepare you. He's wanting you to, to have visitations from him. So, Lord, we ask you to unlock that and release that in the mighty name of Jesus.